Thanks, Miss Emily. Good morning, everybody. And I want to ask you to grab your Bibles and take out your copy of God's Word. Go to John chapter 11. Hey, I'm very excited to announce, especially to the kids and families of our church, but to everybody, that Bible school is essentially a week away. We'll gather next Sunday for our Bible school launch. We'll have prayer in the evening. But this is it. It is upon us. We're almost there. So as we get ready for Bible school, I want my sermon today to kind of tip a hat to Bible school. So you guys can see our, our theme this year is in the wild. Basically, we're going to talk about if you, how, if you take a careful look at King Jesus, you learn something about the gospel. And so we're going to be on a safari together. We're going to be out in the wild learning about animals and trying then to learn about Jesus. We'll be taking a snapshot of the life of Jesus throughout the week and learning from it. Well, the snapshot that I want to take today is from John chapter 11. So as we were preparing for Memorial Day as a Skipper family, I, I went home to Sugarlock and my dad had a little heart problem this week. Thank you, church, very much for praying for him. I know a lot of you guys prayed for my dad this week, and I just want to say for this, from the Skipper family, uh, kind of as a personal moment, we're really grateful to you. Thank you for that. I love you, church. Thank you. So my dad and I went to a cemetery or two, just looking up some of his old family members and showing, showing me where some of our ancestors were, and we spent a lot of time talking about that kind of thing. And that's very appropriate for Memorial Day, but it made me think about a particular animal that we have in Mississippi that makes me think about one day how we'll come out of our graves and be alive with King Jesus. I know it sounds a little weird, but I want to see if anybody can identify this animal. So we're just going to get a little VBS sneak peek here, and I'll be your zookeeper for your animal encounter. Who can identify that little critter? All right, I see Kate's got a hand up. Mary's got a hand up. Kenan's got hands up all over the church. All right, well, let me, let me see. I'm just going to give Kenan a shot. He's kind of closest. All right, so Kenan, you think you know what it is? Oh, uh, some kind of bug. Some kind of bug, you think. Right. <laughs> give me five. I thought that was pretty good. All right, Marley, Kate, I saw you put your hand up, Marley, Kate. Marley, Kate, do you know what kind of bug that is? A fly. Does, it looks like a fly. It's a big fly. All right, I'm sliding back. All right, Hayden, do you know what kind of bug it is? Huh? Cicada. It's a cicada bug. Did it, Raise your hand if you knew that that was a cicada. We have cicadas in Mississippi. We have them all over the place. You guys may not have ever seen a cicada, but you've heard the cicada bugs. They are loud in summer night times. Well, now you may have never seen a cicada that looked like this, but you have seen cicadas that look like this. Robert, you ready? That's our cue. You ready? There you go. Powerful. Thanks, man. Those empty dry shells that you find on tree limbs, shrubs, bushes, the side of your house, well, it's a cicada bug. So let me tell you a little bit about the cicada life cycle. It's kind of interesting. So two grown-up cicada bugs get married and lay eggs, right? With those, everybody's laughing. Those eggs, when they hatch, they're small little nymphs, like worm-like deals, that fall down to the ground. Well, okay, I've never seen one of those. They bury themselves in our Mississippi dirt, sometimes up to eight feet deep, and they start to use their little front claws to dig toward a tree root. I know this sounds crazy. And they spend years eating the sap from the xylem of a tree root. So they stand, sit down there and they just eat for a couple of years. Sounds like a pretty good living to me. And then, I mean, you talk about solitude, right? 
And then when they're ready, they dig a hole up. And you've seen these holes in your yard. You just didn't know what made them. They're about the size that you could stick your thumb in them if you have a thumb my size. Probably not a big old mitt like Travis. Travis, maybe your pinky. I don't know. I'm not sure that you have anything. Yeah, but, but give it a shot. So anyway, the cicadas come out of that hole as a, as a crawling one of these. They find a tree. They grab on. And then in a process that takes a couple of hours, they make a small hole in their exoskeleton, which is what you see hanging. And the big bug with wings crawls out, and his rings, wings are wrinkled up. The Skipper family's gotten to watch this a couple of times. It's pretty cool. And they start to stretch their wings out. And over the span of a couple of hours, their wings grow, and they become full, and they can fly, and they can sing in your trees, and they can make noise, and they can find friends. And that is the life cycle of a cicada. What would be cool to me would be if we could be in our backyard when a cicada first digs his way out of the ground and starts to look around. And you say, what, what was that? And it looks like a little bug coming up out of his grave. What would be even more cool is one day when you and I are alive to see the resurrection of the dead. When God takes all, all of those who've died in Christ and gives us a resurrection and we're, we're alive again and walking and the tomb really didn't hold us and it wasn't the end. Well, that's a very powerful part of the Christian teaching is that when, when we die, we're not gone. Right? That's not over. That's not the end at all. It's really barely the beginning for a believer. And I want us to take a look at King Jesus one day when he's in a cemetery and he's teaching us about life after death. One of the most essential lessons that Jesus teaches. So the story of Lazarus' resurrection in John chapter 11. So turn your Bibles there. I'll read a couple of verses uh, and then I'll, we'll dive into the story together. So let's read the first 16 verses or so. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary was the same one that poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters went and sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Jesus and Lazarus were friends. And the girls knew that he was dying. So they sent word to Jesus, your friend Lazarus is very sick. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. Well, I've, I've got to let you know something. The spoiler alert. The crazy thing about this story is that this sickness did end in death, but Jesus wasn't wrong. That's a mind bender. Let's just keep going. The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, don't you know the disciples are scratching their head? Okay, so verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait a minute. If he loved them, wouldn't he hurry off? Because Jesus was a healer. Like Jesus, Jesus could give sight to the blind. He could allow a mute person to speak. Deaf people could hear. He, he raised paralytics so they could walk again. Like he cured illnesses and diseases and cast out demons. Jesus was a healer. In the first century, everybody knew that Jesus was a healer. And so he loved Mary and Martha. And you would think he'd grab his stuff and say, quick, everybody, let's run. But Jesus did not have to be in a hurry. He knows something that nobody else knew. 
The Bible says in a peculiar way, he loved Mary and Martha very much, so he stayed for two more days. <laughs> and you think, wait, no, if he loved them, he would hurry and heal their brother. But in this story, Jesus loves them so much that he doesn't want to just heal their brother. He wants to do something much bigger than that. And it won't happen unless he waits a few days. And so Jesus waits a few days. Verse 7, And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were... The Jews there tried to stone you, yet you're going back? Hey, Jesus is a brave man, and he's not afraid of his own death because of what he knows, and he hasn't told everybody yet, but you'll learn it in this story. Verse 9, And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. So it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Verse 11, After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. All right, spoiler alert, Lazarus is not asleep, he's dead. Well, maybe the way I should say that is, by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. But maybe I should say it this way, to everybody else, Lazarus is dead, but for Jesus, that's the same as him being asleep. Because Jesus was the only guy in the room who had the power to bring him back from the dead. Let's keep reading. His disciples replied, uh, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. <laughs> Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. The point of the story is that all those disciples... Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and hundreds of friends could learn to believe something new about Jesus. And it's the same thing I want you to believe about Jesus. I want to talk to you today about how it is that Jesus is the one that gives us life after death and why that's important. Verse 16, my man Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. I think that's wrong. Look at how brave he is. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. In other words, they knew that the Jews in Jerusalem were against Jesus. They knew they tried to stone him before. They knew that if he went close to them, they'd probably try to kill him again, which Jesus, again, is the only one in the room that knows that that's the point. Eventually, he's going to have to be killed so that he can raise all the dead. Well, so he's on his way to Jerusalem. And dadgum, if Thomas doesn't say, well, if he's going to die, I'm going to die with him. Come on, guys, let's all go. It's just not, that's not a wimp to me. That's not doubting Thomas. So they're on their way. Let's skip to the end of the story because the part I want to share with you is tucked away in the middle. So let me go ahead and show you how the story ends. In verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. By the way, just like the tomb that he would be laying in very shortly after this. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, um, by this time there's a bad odor. I love the King James on this verse. It says, he stinketh. So if you're sitting by somebody... The King James, you should let them show you that. That's a fantastic translation. 
But Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor for he's been in there four days. In other words, he is dead, dead. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see this, the glory of God? This story is about believing Jesus. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you've heard me, that you hear me. But for this, I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Keep in mind, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Who on earth can call a dead man out of the tomb? And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth was around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine Lazarus comes stumbling out of that tomb, can't see, just heard Jesus' voice and is walking to it. And some astonished guy stumbles over there and starts taking off the cloth and his jaw is hanging down on the ground. And he's thinking to himself, oh my gosh, you called this guy from death to life? I want to tell you a couple of things in the story as we process it. When you take a careful look at Jesus, you're going to see that he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good man, and he's not even just a healer. You're going to learn something that's fundamentally true about our Savior today that's super important. But before we get there, I want to encourage you to remember this. For every believer, it's theologically solid, it's sound, it's true, it's our hope that to be dead is not to be gone. Like it's not the same thing for us. We grieve, but the Bible says we, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those folks who have no hope. We believe that there's life after death. Dead is not the same thing as gone for us, not even by a long shot. It seems like it. It seemed like dead and gone were the same thing for Mary and for Martha. But one of the things that Jesus wanted to show them is that dead and gone are not the same thing. He's dead to you, but he's not dead to me. They're always alive to me. And he wanted to show you something else that was very powerful that we need to process together for just a few minutes. So let's go and take a look at the interaction with Martha. When Jesus sees Mary, he weeps. And, And we love that verse because it's touching and it's tender and it's beautiful. And it's the shortest verse in the Bible. And I like to read short things. But to me, the heart of this story is Martha. When Martha comes out to have a conversation with Jesus. So let's read Martha's conversation with Jesus together. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. By the way, Martha's not the only one that thought that. Let me show you two other verses. Everybody skip down to verse 32. When Mary comes out. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha and Mary both knew that Jesus, the healer, could have healed him from his sickness. In fact, even the crowds, look in verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Everybody Everybody 
in this story believed that Jesus could make a sick man well and could keep a person from death. But death seems so final. Who can help us at death? Let me show you the power of what Jesus wanted to unlock. Go back to verse 4. Just want you to understand that Jesus wanted everybody to catch that dead for him is not gone. Look in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said the sickness won't end in death, but it's so that Jesus could be glorified. Wait a minute, but it did end in death. Well, it seemed like death to us, but not death to him. Look in verse 6. When he got the word, what did he do? He waited. Why? Because he needed Lazarus to die so that he could show you what he wanted you to learn. Look at verse 11 through 13. He tells the disciples, it's fine, he's just sleeping. And they're saying, well, if he's just sleeping, let's don't bother him, don't wake him up. Nobody wants to be woken up from a nap. And Jesus says, oh, you don't get it. I mean, he's asleep to me. He's dead to you, but he's just asleep to me. Because dead and gone are not the same thing. He's never gone from me. Verse 14, he even says, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe. All right, so let's fast forward. So the point of this miracle is not that Jesus can stop death. And everybody listen to me. That's what we want. We all want Jesus to stop death. Like that's, that's our great hope. Grandma's in the hospital. Don't let her die. Dad had a heart attack. Don't let him die. I've got cancer again. Don't let me die. We all want Jesus to work the miracle to stop death. And sometimes he does that. But what we've got to understand in the bigger and more glorious picture, from a seat where only God can sit, not only can Jesus stop us from dying, but even in our death, God can give us life. That's what the nobody got. So the point of this particular miracle, unlike the other ones, is that this story is not telling us that Jesus can stop death. Yeah, he can, but this is not telling us that he can stop. He's given us something way better. Because here's the deal. If Jesus had come and healed Lazarus before he died, well, that's a good deal. But in a couple of days, Jesus is going to die on the cross and be gone. And we're going to look up and we're going to say, now he's not here to stop death. What's going to happen when we die? But because of this miracle, he gave the church hope. He showed you that even when you die, you're not gone from him. That death is not the end. That we never have to let go of hope. It's always healing. Healing here or healing there. But that, that's a power that the world could not have seen clearly if Jesus had not called Lazarus from the grave. The point of this miracle was not to show that Jesus could stop death, but it was to show that he came to conquer death. Two very different things. Very different things. How does he do it? Let's go back to Martha, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha was a good Jewish woman. She knew that he would rise again. She read the book of Daniel. She read Ezekiel. She understood it from the prophets that the dead in Christ will rise. The righteous dead, those who are in God, part of his covenant, his family would be raised at the last day. She knew that. So Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
But at this point, the prophets hadn't been shown enough about the resurrection. The Jewish people didn't know enough yet about the resurrection. Christ had not come to reveal. So Martha looks at Jesus and with great faith, she says, Jesus, I know I'll see him again at the resurrection on the last day when God raises the righteous. But I want you to see what Jesus said. So Martha says, I know I'll see him at the resurrection. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe it? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who came to the world. I want you to understand there's a radical difference from believing that there is a resurrection of the dead and believing that Jesus is the resurrection. It's two very different things than to believe that a resurrection will happen and then to believe that a resurrection will happen because of Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. Jesus looked at Martha and said, I know you believe there is a resurrection. I'm about to pull back the curtain and I'm going to show you what the Father and I have been up to this whole time. It's going to blow you away. Hold your breath. I know you believe there is a resurrection. I'm it. Every dead soul raised to life because of me. I will crack open my own tomb in the Spirit and I'll walk on the earth again resurrected and fully alive. The first fruits of all who follow. And everyone who's born again in me will follow in my footsteps. Theologically, you and I believe through the teachings of the scripture that there's a judgment that that all who die will be raised. The wicked will be raised and judged and separated from God forever. Their choices to reject God will ultimately end in a full rejection of God. They'll be separated from God, damned forever in hell. And the righteous will be judged, and their desire for God, their choice for God, will finally bear its full fruit, and they'll be adopted into his family to live forever with him in heaven, and then one day as he comes down to a new heaven and a new earth, and will dwell with him. We believe theologically in the resurrection of the dead. But what John chapter 11 shows us when we slow down and take a look at Jesus is the resurrection of the dead is not just something that sort of happens when the timer goes off. The resurrection happens because of Jesus. It wasn't an accident that he was the first one raised from the dead. It wasn't an accident. It was a pathway. It was his sacrifice becoming our substitute. It was the mechanism that brought life. Paul the Apostle says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection of the dead, he was giving you a very clear picture about what happens next. And here's what you need to hear. What happens next has everything to do with whether or not you believe in King Jesus who came to be the resurrection and the life. In other words, a lot of us want to be raised from the dead and live with God for, in heaven forever, not raised from the dead and judged but we don't want to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. We want to be our own king and then get 
the benefits of the work of Jesus. We don't, we, it's almost as if we, we want the resurrection, we just don't want Jesus. And when Jesus stands with Martha, he's making it crystal clear, there is no resurrection without me. I am the resurrection. I am the life after this, and even the life during this. Lazarus is dead to you, but not to me. You know why? Because I am the life. Watch, I'll just call him right out. Lazarus, come on. He might as well have been asleep to me. So today, um, today is my anniversary, by the way. So happy anniversary to me, and thank you so much, Lens, for hanging in there. First lady of the church, she loves you. She prays for you. She cares about you a ton. It's a hard job. She's awesome at it. Lens, I love you. Thanks for being our anniversary. Uh, so one of the things that my anniversary bride does in our house that is amazing is my, my wife, once in a while, plays the role of the clothes fairy. Now let me tell you about the clothes fairy. If you don't have a clothes fairy at your house, you start praying for one now, and uh, maybe God will give you one. So I hate laundry. I, I mean, honestly, there's lots of chores that I don't love, but laundry is chief of them all. I don't know why. I hate laundry. hate folding laundry. I don't mind loading the washer. Uh, I, I hate switching over the dryer. I have no idea why. I just hate laundry. Don't misunderstand. I can do laundry. I do laundry, right? But I hate laundry. Is there anybody out there like me? Is there any amen in the church today? Anybody? Hey, thank you. And, and I mean, there's something that we all hate. You know, you can make a deal with your wife. I hate laundry. You hate the trash. Let me do the trash. You do, whatever. I don't care how you work out your marriage. But one of the things that I love in my house is 18 years that I've had a clothes fairy move in. Like ever since I moved out from Jody and moved in with Lindsay, like the clothes fairy showed up. So typically while I'm gone and I'm away at work or whatever, I'll come home miraculously. Clothes that were piled up on the floor, like in my closet, or on hangers, or folded and placed in a drawer. Or if I've been kind of stubborn that week, folded in a laundry basket, you know, the clothes fairy like was 50-50, but, <laughs> but I, I have a clothes fairy, and my clothes get folded and put away all by themselves. Can I get amen to that? <laughs> and here I am on my anniversary, and I can tell you this, I'm super grateful, super grateful for my clothes fairy, but if I'm fool enough to think that I have a clothes fairy and not a wonderful wife, then I am a fool indeed. Somebody's folding those clothes. I'm suspicious that it's her, right? And I'll bet that in her heart, as much as she loves me, she's probably not game for me to take that for granted forever. Like she, she's probably, she's a good woman, but I'll bet you that if I don't throw a thank you there, her way once in a while, that, that'll get old. You know what I'm saying? Like, I doubt that she loves, everybody wants to, like, support my wife right now. That's right, Ben, you should be grateful. I doubt that she wants to do all this work for me all the time and me to continue on going, I've got a clothes fairy, I've got a clothes fairy, right? It's almost like we want a resurrection fairy. We want to know there is a resurrection and we want the benefits, but we don't want to talk about who gave it to us. We don't want to talk about what it cost him to give it to us. We, want, we don't want to talk about the road ahead. We want a resurrection. Like you go to, go to 10 funerals this week. Just listen to the news. Like watch a few YouTube videos. Everybody believes in the life hereafter. Every, everybody's going to become a butterfly or an angel or a warm breath of wind across the Caribbean. 
we've got our own crazy ideas. And even those that believe that we'll be raised and live in heaven, like we think we got there magically by a clothes fairy, by a resurrection fairy. No, there's no such thing. There's not a resurrection pixie out there that's going to give you life. You have life after death because Christ gave his for you. When he looks at Martha and he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he gave birth to a church that is his witness to say we're alive now and forever because of Christ who loved us, because of Christ who redeemed us, and absolutely I will give him the years that I have left. He's the resurrection and the life, and I beg you not to spend the rest of your life wandering around in hope of a resurrection that's given to you by a resurrection fairy. Remember today that you have life hereafter because of King Jesus on a cross and with an empty tomb. He conquered death. And so we'll gather at our gravesides and we'll weep together, but with hope. Not hope in the arbitrary or the accidental. Not hope in some good wishes of a benevolent God, but in hope of a God who sent his Christ to die and take our place. Of a God who conquered death through the sacrifice and resurrection of his son. And it would be an offense to say, I know that I will live after I die, and I don't care where that came from. As Jesus stood with Martha and she said, I know he'll live again at the resurrection of the dead. Jesus looked into the eyes of, the, of a woman that he loved and he said, Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection. And a bewildered crowd followed him to a stinky tomb. And he said, I need to teach you all something. Hang on to this lesson because you're going to see it again soon. Lazarus, come out. And in grave clothes, wrapped around his face and his hands, he comes stumbling out because the life just called death to come back to life. And in a few weeks, they watch him broken, hanging on a cross for my sin. They watch Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus place him in a cold, empty tomb. And they go home grieving because the grave robber's in a grave. And on the third day, with nobody who could call him out, he walks out himself. And he said to his church, and this is the beginning. For all who believe in me, I have come that you could have life and abundantly. And I grieve. I grieve that you and I are the keepers of the treasure of the gospel, the resurrected Christ. It's our sacred privilege to know how we get life after death. To know where it comes from. To know who gave it. To who gets credit. And to show you how to walk in his footsteps all the days of your life. But we're so distracted and so busy. We're so forgetful. And so today I just want to ask you to slow down and focus on Jesus. I want to ask you a couple of questions as you respond to your time of worship. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? If he is then it means that resurrection doesn't come out of a coin-operated gumball machine. You can't get it at will. You can't buy it. You can't find it chasing any other God. And all roads do not lead to the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus himself in his person is the resurrection and the life, if he's the way, the truth, and the life, then it's my opportunity 
to ask you today, are you in Christ? Have you accepted the gift that he died to give you? And do you give him credit for it? Have you surrendered your will to his will? Have you celebrated baptism in his name? Are you following Jesus? Second, as keepers of the gospel, are we sharing? You are the one who knows the cure to the sickness that is death itself. Can we give it? Can we share it? Can we spread it? He's the resurrection and the life. This Sunday morning, as you reflect, I want to pray for you. And in just a moment, I want to ask you to come down and respond as God stirs in your heart. If there's anybody here today who's far away from God and you need to give your life to Jesus, you don't have to wait. You can do that today, right now. I'll be standing here waiting for you. Mike will be here. Reed will be here. We'd love to pray with you as you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. If there's something else that you want prayer for or something God's leading you into and you want your pastoral staff to care for you, we're here today. We want to pray for you. The altars are open if you want to pray by yourself. But we want to serve you after this hour of worship before we go back to our mission to serve the resurrection and the life. I just want to ask you, what's God doing and how do you need to respond? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge this Sunday morning that Christ Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's no accident and it's no cheap trick that we have life after death. It didn't come without a cost and we honor that today. We honor King Jesus and we believe on his name. We come to you, God, not with arrogance, not with hypocrisy, and not with an ounce of judgmentalism. We come to you, Lord, as sinners who have been saved because of your kindness and your graciousness. Father, we ask now that you'd fill our heart with a love for you and a love for people, that we'd be quick to share the gospel and we'd get good keepers of your story, that we could tell the world about the resurrection of Christ and about life after death, and that we could bring your sons and daughters back to you. God, I pray that you would allow us this Sunday morning to celebrate as you work in our hearts. Father, that none of us would hide from you, but that we would run to the work of your steady hand. God, that we'd give our hearts to you. I pray today that you'd teach each of us to take our next step of obedience. And it's in Christ's name I pray for this, for our church.